just talking about uh, some of the external differences between the, some of the Damayuk forest monasteries and say our style. One thing you have to bear in mind what some of the Damayuk monasteries they might have a very you might say strict or specialized uh, core what where they, they don't have many meetings and they're the place, there's not many new monks, there's no ordinations there, and it's very uh, simple style, but then they'll have another monastery that uh, they're connected with where, say, new monks are ordained and begin their training and they may come to the, the monastery of the Krugrajan and stay for a while and practice meditation and they might stay for a year or two and then they go off to another monastery and they might have a number of different monasteries connected with each other and they move around like that. Um, whereas the Watmapong monasteries tend to be, everything happens in the one monastery. So you get new monks coming in, you all ordained monks trained and then you have meetings and you might, over a period of time, you might have periods where you stop meetings and have uh, quiet time for people to meditate or you might have individuals take their time off to meditate in a more simple style where they don't have any meetings and so on. Um, in a monastery yes, like sure. this where you have a number of different monks of different panthers, you have brand new monks and then you have some who've been around for a while and then some more senior monks. Then if there's <coughs> generally if there's new monks you'll have meetings so that the new monks have a chance to practice and train themselves as they haven't trained much before. During those periods, well, maybe some of the more senior monks who practice, they can have permission to practice more on their own, or actually go off for periods of time and practice in quiet places and come back. Um, if there's a suitable time, even the whole monastery, there might be periods where you stop the meeting for a few months, say. Uh, maybe if there are brand new monks still coming in at that time, might have them just come together for the morning or evening meeting but the majority of the Sangha, the rest of the Sangha don't have meetings. Um, when you have a, a system like this where you have one monastery doing all these functions, it's a place where the monks are ordained from the beginning, where they train from Pakao Anagarika, novice through to monk, from Nawaka monk through to Majima to Tera, then you'll, this is the way you deal with that fact that the, the Sangha is full of individuals with different levels of experience and have been different in the Sangha for different lengths of time. As the Dhamma style generally tends to divide that up into different actual different monasteries. There'll be in one monastery, could be in Bangkok, could be a city monastery somewhere where they ordain, then they'll move off to a monastery where they're going to practice meditation with a Kubrajan and so on. So you tend to get a slightly different feel when it's like that. But the, the, the monasteries with the Kubrajan, you tend to not get monks just staying there indefinitely over for years and years and years and years. Generally, they'll only be there for a year or two and then they'll move on somewhere else. If you look at this monastery, the history of this monastery, there was a period when the Sangha grew uh, up and there's a large m number of senior monks, Majimas and Teras, maybe even five or ten Teras all living here at the same time. Mm -hmm when you have a single and very few new monks so they were sort of an imbalance and when you have a sangha with a makeup like that then not necessary maybe to have so many meetings and so much of that because there's so many experienced practitioners living together 
But then there's also other issues if you've got, say, 10 terrors living in the same monastery. Um, you know, each terror is going to have a particular character and views on practice and so on, so there can be issues with that. Then, say, for instance, they go to visit Wapapong for one of the arms or something, and they'll probably say, well, where are you from, or what Mark Jan, and another terror comes, where are you from, what Mark Jan, end up with all these terrors at what Mark Jan, and Lumbulium uh, might say, oh, a lot of terrors here, why, why, why is Bill going on practicing and having your own monasteries? And so gradually over time that did change, some of these terrors went off and lived in quiet places, so then you have also have that opportunity, you have a big monastery, central monastery, and then you have some quiet sakas, but there's still the connection, so they go off, but when, there's the time, when the time comes they still come together here, maybe for different events and they still keep in contact with that in and come and stay here. So you you have both an expansion of the Sangha over time, but there's still a central core and a central kind of unity of the Sangha. Most of the uh, what you call branch monasteries from here they started in very quiet places, quiet forests. And Ajahn and Ajahn was quite happy for them to stay very quiet for the monks to go and practice there. But it's natural over time, most places, you have an abbot or a senior monk living over time, you, you'll get to know people, people have faith, both people come and ordain and also lay people support the place, so it gradually grows up, so you get more activity, more building, and so most of them don't stay very quiet, they gradually become built up into monasteries that are quite thriving monasteries. And one has to see that's just the natural way of things. But nevertheless, if you have the chance to practice and you're in a quiet situation where it's up to each individual to make use of the opportunity they have, and yeah, the ideal of just staying quietly, going on Bindabhat, coming back, having a lot of time just to meditate, not many meetings, not much work, then that ideal, that's quite uh, an okay ideal to follow, and if you have that situation, then it's, it's okay. He himself, in, his, in the past, he... Uh, left Wapapong for a period of time and he went off with just one or two friends and they stayed in Lockbury, practiced very simply, didn't do any building or receive invitations or teaching or anything. And when the time's appropriate you can practice like that. But it's, you know, also, but it's also natural just to accept the fact that people have faith and so wherever there are monks living regularly, well gradually that monastery, that place will become more established, more built up, more teaching, more invitations will happen. One thing I didn't mention at the beginning, he said if you go off to visit monasteries, you have to go off with wisdom. You take your wisdom with you and you go and you learn and you study and you see how they do things. Um, it's not enough just to go off with faith. I like, say like you have it as a teacher, you have faith in the teacher and you go off, you've got faith in them, you just go and sort of believe everything they say in, this, in that sense, just having faith, you also have to stop and contemplate and use your wisdom uh, and think about things. That's the best way to when you go and visit other teachers and travel around and have those experiences. He also said Ajahn Chah's style really was to let people grow and mature in their own way and their own pace um, to develop their samadhi and when people do develop true peace and mindfulness and samadhi inside, well then everything starts to fall into place, the wisdom starts to come, the understanding, 
how to practice in the situation they're in comes. And he didn't use the style so much of always on your back telling you do this, do that, always being uh, the one pushing people. He would tend to step back and just let people grow at their own pace and then when they had questions or they had an issue then they would come to him and ask and he would give advice based on a specific issue or question but he wouldn't be sort of standing over everyone always trying to sort of parent them through their, their growth as a monk. He would let them practice for themselves and gain some money and you could, because the environment was good then when people gained some peace then the insights start to come from that. is really the one who will make full use of say an opportunity when they're living very we wait with maybe just a few monks and no business, no work, no meetings. Somebody who's already developed their samadhi to the point where they need that. Quite naturally they'll seek and need that free time and, and opportunity to develop the samadhi and develop the contemplation from that. But the mind will almost tell you in its own way, it will know its own level. If one's still in a one's level of practice is very much up and down, kind of hit and miss, then it's not so important that because one hasn't reached that point where one, one really needs or the mind knows it needs its free time, it needs time to be on its own. It might be someone say who's reached the level of Upajara Samadhi, then they might want to go off and be on their own and the mind will really be peaceful in that situation and make full use of that situation. And the mind will look after itself, it will know, well, if I'm getting too busy with other things, uh, I can't keep up this level of meditation, so the mind will naturally know how to regulate that. But if one hasn't reached that point, then it's more just working on ideals and thoughts and opinions about it, You're not really coming from true samadhi yet. Um, Tanajan gave the example when he was a young one, just a few rings, he really didn't want to join in work and meetings and things so he's always trying to go to a place where they had no meetings so he could just practice his samadhi and meditate and on one level that was good and right and you could gain his samadhi but at the same time you could see there's some deep attachment still there deep buried in the mind and a sort of a resistance to things like say meetings and that that's that's still a form of attachment that's still a form of craving an attachment that we could say leading to um, existence, bawa and jati leading to um, an attachment that, that, that is binding you to the world. So he said, well I've got to transcend that. And so one has to use one's samadhi, use one's contemplation to find ways to transcend even say views and opinions about things like whether we should have meetings or not to be working or not, these, these kind of things to the point where the mind can be free from that from that level of uh, opinions and views about the practice and he saw that for himself, oh, I still have to go deeper in the practice to free myself from that the thing that would change our uh, views of Dhamma would be the development of Samadhi what will change our views of, about things, about ourselves, about the practice will be well, both samadhi and wisdom, when the samadhi is established in the mind that will take the wisdom deeper and then one's views of these things will, will change, the mind itself will change. In the end all of the uh, practices that we do, the core work and the different ubayas that teachers give us, they're all aimed to develop, help us develop mindfulness 
and from that mindfulness wisdom and from that peace and understanding in the heart one has to remember that so each teacher will have his own particular style character um, but the important thing is to have that faith and confidence in the teacher if you trust the teacher's wisdom and that they are leading you in the right direction towards enlightenment then you, you build on that trust and you, you can follow their teaching so so in Ajahn Chah's particular style he's received his teachings, his practice from uh, Lumpur Ginnari, Lumpur Tongrat, Lumpur Mat and passed it on to Sangha they like the teacher has a role to play like in, in helping to remind us what to do they'll give us teachings, they'll tell us you know, don't talk uh, the teacher might say don't talk it's uh, drink time, don't spend your time chatting, idle worldly chatter maybe for a day everyone stops talking but if people's barami is not very well strongly developed well within a day or two they'll be back talking again or like in his old in his youth as a monk when it was the cold season you might say oh maybe it's time for everyone to get down and stay in their grots for him when he heard his teacher say that that's it he's straight down into the grot staying in the in the forest but he, he said it say this year or he said it sometimes here before and if some monks will take that hint and they'll go down and practice in their grot others won't they'll just ignore it in the end it comes down to each individual their barami and how willing they are to train and how skilled they are in training themselves you can use the ubayas of the teacher and the place but in the end it's up to you and if someone was really committed then to live here they can practice they come out for the bindabata they go on bindabata eat a meal go back to the kuti practice jongkrom for a few hours have a short rest come out do some more jongkrom then do the chores after the chores and the drink have a quick drink quietly don't talk to anyone then go up to the hall and practice late into the night if one has the discipline and the commitment one could do that and one would probably get quick results in the practice samadhi and insight would come but in the end it's up to us isn't it how we practice how much effort we put in and that you can't uh, that can't be just dependent on the teacher or the place it's the individual what they're doing with their practice and as I said when he was first at Wapakom there was a lot of work in those days uh, physical work, building, administrative work and quite tempting especially when you're a new monk you have periods when your samadhi seems good and mind's peaceful, lots of peace in sukha and periods when it seems to degenerate and one will tend to say well it's because of the work because of this, because of that and my samadhi is degenerated but through practicing and getting experience you realize well it's actually just the nature of samadhi especially when one isn't yet fully skilled in keeping the mind mindful and peaceful training in that way well it will be up and down and there will be a, a sense of uh, gaining samadhi and then degenerating and that's actually independent of things like work and that but you'll tend to, to blame in that way and then there were these periods of, when he became more senior well thought, oh, I'll leave what we'll I'll find somewhere uh, where just go off with a few monks they went off with a few monks he was at Lamluka for a while then more people started to come came down here just a few monks living very simply and then more people started to come more monks started to come one in we wake as well and we ended up with a big monastery like this 
and then monks have come here and then end up wanting to be more we went more people well, over the years they've gone off and started these little places all of them originally just quiet little monasteries not much happening but over the years gradually they've become bigger and more you might say more successful uh, probably now the only one left that's very basic very simple is uh, where Ajahn Samler is in um, he would be quite happy for monks to go off and just find if, if there's a place a suitable forest just to keep that very simple and, and keep a very simple core what just leaving a few monks go on Bindabhat come back eat the meal no meetings no work and just live very simply but obviously there has to be at least one person willing to do that to be the leader and go and live there and do that uh, if Sadiamo was, was interested to do that he'd be quite supportive if there's a piece of forest go off and just live there maybe for a few years and then come back there's always that option and he's got um, he's very supportive of that going back this this monastery was very quiet say when I came myself came to stay here first it was very quiet not very well developed um, so we've been through that but gradually over the years it's become busier more monks wanted to also come and stay in a place that's nice and quiet but you get more monks you get more things happening more buildings more people come and so on so it's become busier and Ajahn says now he's even thinking oh it's time to take early retirement 55 this year okay. we get, sometimes we get monks here 55 or 60 have retired from their job okay. coming to be monks he's, okay. he's the abbot he's okay, 55 maybe he should retire okay. uh, maybe it's time to let some of the other monks help run the place and then he can have more time for his own practice and to be quiet um, that's the ideal he said whether he can achieve that 100% is, will remain to be seen maybe he can achieve it 70% or whatever just have to see um, but because this is a, an established monastery now he has his responsibilities his duties so it, one can't turn the clock back so it's impossible to make it sort of a simple um, monastery in the forest again in quite the same way but he can maybe achieve something by having other monks like Ajahn and maybe help him do the teaching and the running the place and he just teaches occasionally and has a role to play occasionally. Wherever in the end, where if you're a monk, wherever you are, uh, you have to have sacrifice. You have to have renunciation. You have to be able to give up your time, your your energy, and views and opinions. And that's just the nature of our lifestyle. Um, and so even in a quiet little place, you you'll still have to do that. And that's the nature of the life. It's it's helping you to give up your selfishness uh, in different ways and when you do give up that well the result is that you live together in harmony and you help each other and you have a peaceful monastery whether it's a few people or many people um, that's the same in Thailand it's the same in abroad where perhaps things in some ways although it's a materially wealthy society abroad you build a monastery there you're actually more dependent on each other as monks because there's maybe less Buddhists around there's less monks around you really have to help each other. So again, you have to have this willingness willingness to give up your selfishness and your more self-centered sort of views and opinions and that, that approach to life. But look at the results of that. When you do give up, 
you yourself will gain from that. You gain peace of mind by learning to transcend or let go of your views and opinions. And you also get a harmonious group of people. If everyone is giving up, then that group, or that social group, whether it's a monastery or a society or a family, whatever, that will be a peaceful place because people are giving up. Explain. Larry was saying sometimes the, when the monastery is at its busiest, it seems a very confusing place. Lots of activities, things happening. Gave an example of when they had the hundred monks ordained temporarily. You'd expect yourself to be un not peaceful and unhappy with the situation. We actually found you got a lot of peace at those times, meditating. Quite peaceful in the midst of all this activity. And Tanajan says, well, it's, it's, in the end, it's down to your mind. And your mind can be peaceful whether there's a few people or a lot, a lot of people. You know, if you know how to practice and you're, you're developing the practice in the right way, the wholesome dhammas are coming, then, then your mind can be peaceful in any situation. And it's not a, you know, a fixed thing. You could be living just very quietly in a very quiet forest with just two or three monks, and you can have lots of suffering, lots of confusion going on in the mind. Or you can be very peaceful in a very busy, large community. It's not a guaranteed thing one way or the other. <coughs>